You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. Today we conclude our series, Questions Jesus Asked, based on the book by McGray De Vega. I thank Tommy for giving me an opportunity last week. Uh, I was preaching in Ohio. It's good to be back with you today on this Palm Sunday, that strange day where we're both celebrating Jesus's entry into Jerusalem, but that there's also, Jesus isn't following quite the plan that has been prepared for those claiming to be Messiah. And how quickly our hosannas are second-guessed. We start by saying, save us. And then we see what Jesus is doing and we say, save us? Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of John. First chapter, verse, uh, beginning with verse 35, uh, it'll be on the screens. Uh, it'll be online and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Let us hear the question Jesus is asking us today. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the technologies that we experienced coming out of the pandemic and during the pandemic was Zoom. How many of you have been on Zoom before? Maybe a meeting or a, a class uh, or a gathering. Uh, Zoom is both something that is quite convenient and innovative and it helps us gather. But on the other hand, it can be quite frustrating. Uh, like like this. Mr. Ponton, I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Uh, you might want to uh, uh, take, take We're a trying look. to, we're tr can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, in the it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. That's not. I'm not a cat. It's hard to hear the the ending of the video, but he says, "I'm I'm, I'm happy to move forward. I, I am live. Uh, I'm not a cat." <laughs> um, and also, my favorite is is the guy in the top left was like not having it. He was just like, you know, "Let's get this deposition over with." Like he was just like, you know, as if he sees this every day. People not knowing how to turn their cat filters off of their Zoom account. On the one hand, Zoom is a helpful tool to bring us together and to help us convene where location doesn't matter. On the other hand, Zoom can be incredibly frustrating. Namely because here we are face to face having a meeting and there is an expectation that we are able to read each other's body language. We treat each other on the screen as if we can read each other's body language but we can't see each other's bodies. So there is this constant 
tension and aggravation. If you've been on a Zoom call for a while, you get exhausted very quickly. Your eyes, your mind, it's tiring because we are treating each other as if we can read body language, but we cannot see each other fully to be able to pick up on that kind of conversation. It's the same kind of feeling when you're reading and there's low light, right? Or uh, it's starting to rain and you turn your windshield wipers on, but all it's doing is like moving schmutz around and it's not really doing anything. So you're kind of looking around to try to find a place where it's clear and or it's like when you're watching a TV show and your kids are constantly talking and you can't hear what's going on. There's this constant disconnect with what you're supposed to be paying attention to. Almost an inability to meet the expectation that has been placed upon you in that moment. I mean, sometimes we communicate using only body language. Like maybe you've been at a party and you know this, it's the, it's time to go. Right? So it's kind of like, you know, you know the look, it's time to go, let's go, or, or the, what did I do this time kind of look, right? You don't have to say anything, right? Or it's the, we call that where's the remote in our family. This is this constant like, where, where's the, we have, and I'm not kidding, we have, two pairs of remotes. Never can find any of them, right? It's like buried treasure. Like in our house, none of the remotes can be found at any time. If I ever had top secret documents that I wanted to keep hidden, I would just attach the remote to it. And then it would be never found by anyone. There's almost this extinct, uh, 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 um, um, there's almost this in instinctive desire when someone starts to do something like that to ask what are you looking for? <laughs> right? Can I help? What are you looking for? And I wonder when Jesus is there with John and John says behold the Lamb of God and the disciples approach him. The first thing that Jesus says to them is what are you looking for? What an odd way to introduce yourself. He doesn't say hi my name's Jesus of Nazareth, check my link in bio for all of my social you know, media feeds. What are you look? Why did he respond in that way? Were they anxious? Were they, were they nervous? Were they restless? Eager? What are you, what are you looking for? I mean, my first response would be, why are you following me? <laughs> right? I learned this from when. Right? You take your thumb and you lock, you lock the wrist, right? Why are you following me? <laughs> what are you looking for? Maybe, maybe it's because this kind of a question is universal to our human condition. I imagine if we pause the sermon at this point and you put, buddied up with a neighbor and you asked, what are you looking for? You would get some really wild, interesting, deep answers. What are you looking for in your life, in your work, with your kids, with your friends? What are you looking for in this one wild, crazy life? What are you seeking? What are you striving after? And this goes beyond the where's the remote kind of a thing. The Greek suggests not what are you looking for, but 
what occupies you? What occupies you? You know, we kind of fall into three categories. There is our job, there is our occupation, and there is our vocation. Our job is what you do. Our occupation is what occupies you most of the time. That might be your job. That might be fear, worry, anxiety. And then there's vocation, that to which you are called. And of course, we find that happiness, we find that meaning, we find fruitfulness when all three of those become the same thing. What we do, what occupies us, and our calling, all wrapped up into one. Never work a day in your life when you find that. Not what are you looking for, what, what occupies you? What is yourself pointed toward? Now, uh, yesterday, uh, we participated in the Stockwell Place Stallion Fun Run. Uh, Asbury was one of the sponsors. Uh, of the fun run. There, there's our, our logo right at the very top left. First logo you see, uh, uh, Asbury United Methodist Church, bringing hope, building faith, reaching out with love. Uh, Cecilia and Robert were ready uh, uh, for the race. Robert had very, he had amazing form. I mean, he was standing like a stallion. I'll put it on Facebook later, but he was ready for the race. Uh, Lady Cecilia uh, realized during the race that running is not her favorite. <laughs> She came back and she goes, ah, I don't think I'm going to be a runner. And well, that's good because she got, to, I, would, I would be wondering because Rawls are not built for speed nor endurance. So running, we're built for bowling really is what I'm trying to say. Bowling and golf. Those are the two, uh, um, the two ways that we are built for sports. Uh, so they're standing there at the, the and now I was going to participate in the 5K because uh, it started with the fun run and there was like a 5K for the grownups. But they wanted to go home. You know, they were tired. They wanted to get back. So just being a good dad, you know, and saying, I'll give up the fun run. I'll give up the 5K to make sure that you get home. And it was a good thing because I took a risk. I took a risk yesterday and I wore a sleeveless workout shirt. And thank you for your laugh. Um, so I, um, and the only thing I could describe is because is people were kind of averting their eyes, and I thought it was because, like, you know, sun's out, gun's out, like they didn't want to make a spectacle, but uh, it was really, you know, like when you come out of a movie theater, and then the light reflecting off of the pavement is so bright that it's painful? Like, my arms haven't seen the sun in I don't know how many years, so there was just kind of this aversion. And it's also, it was a little, like, two Dukes of Hazard for me to wear the sleeveless cutoff. Anyway, so I'm, I learned something about myself, never wearing that again. But instead, of, before going home and, and changing, uh, uh, we had a chance to throw the Frisbee uh, on the playground. And it was tons of fun, right? So we picked up a Frisbee, and I quickly learned that my kids have no idea how to throw a Frisbee. So uh, we had this teaching moment. First, we started, Cecilia picked up like this really heavy, like, Frisbee disc golf kind of a thing. It would weigh like, I don't know, 15 pounds and could like sever a horse. Like you just would you do it like that kind of thing. Um, uh, and she was having trouble with it. So we found a lighter one that went with the, the wind. And, and we talked about how if you point your toe wherever your toe is pointing, that's where the Frisbee is going to go. Right? 
point your toe wherever the toe is pointing, that's where the Frisbee is going to go. If you're opened up too much, the Frisbee is going to, you know, uh, slice or hook. I don't, I don't, not one of the, that way. Or, or if you're too, if you're too closed, you're going to get this like diagonal thing where it like hits you back in the face kind of a thing. Wherever the toe is pointing, that's where the Frisbee is going to go. Where are you pointed? What are you looking for? What are you striving for? What is occupying you? If you don't know the answer to that, check your feet. Where are you headed? Where are you positioned to be? I think it's Jim Collins from Good to Great who said that we are perfectly equipped to get the results we're currently getting. If you're looking for a different outcome, look at the, uh, if you're looking for a different output, look at the input. Are you pointed in the direction you want to be. Jesus asks the disciples, what are you looking for? And they reply, where are you staying? Curiously, they answer a question with a question, right? If you've read the Bible at any length, you should be used to this in the New Testament. What are you looking for? Well, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. Jesus doesn't say over there, I'm staying over there, or I'm at Peter's place for a while. He doesn't drop a pen on Google Maps. He doesn't describe where he's living. He says, come and see. He's not describing a destination. He's inviting them on a journey, which is quite different. It's an invitation. Well, Come and see. Walk with me. Journey with me. If your feet reveal where you're heading, then let's walk. Let's move. It's not that the destination is unimportant, but often the destination we choose is not the thing we need. It may be what we want But it is the journey that reveals if the destination is what we need. What are you looking for? It's like Dr. Spencer Silver. Do you know Dr. Dr. Silver? Uh, He worked for the 3M adhesive company and he was working tirelessly to to find this really strong, uh, unbreakable adhesive. And he kept getting this weird weak, like it would stick, but then you could take it off and it would stick again and it would take it off. And he thought it was completely useless. Who would want something like this? But then Dr. Wicken ears up, choir ears up. One of his colleagues was in the choir and he goes, you know, every Wednesday at choir practice, I put little pieces of paper in the hymnal to mark what the, where the hymns are, but then come Sunday morning, they've fallen out. He goes, this would be perfect. And he started marking his hymnal with what we now know as post-it notes. Dr. Silver thought it was a failure. And then an unintended consequence, post-it notes were born, discovered by the choir. Oh, this one, discovered by, ah, forget it. The choir, thank you choir for helping us discover post-it notes is where I'm getting it. You know, you're welcome. Goodness sakes, ruin that joke. <clears throat> so, um, 
Listen, it's also like the, the, the microwave, right? The microwave was not originally invented to heat up ramen, right? Uh, the scientist that was working on the microwave recognized that the chocolate bar in his pocket had melted, right? An unintended consequence of innovation. Or Alexander Fleming and the invention of penicillin. It wasn't what he intended to create, but he was observant. Sometimes it's not the destination, it is observing the journey. What is it that I wasn't expecting? How are my eyes open to what God is doing? I've wanted to go here, but through this journey, keeping my eyes open, I might see and experience something that I never thought possible. Come and see, Jesus says. Journey, move, observe, keep going. What are you looking for? During Jesus' time, the Jews were looking for a Messiah. Jesus knew this. And there were several prophecies that pointed to those who were claiming to be a Messiah. Zechariah 9, chapter 9, it goes like this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew this. So when Jesus entered into Jerusalem during the holiest time of the year, he entered riding on a beast of burden in keeping with the scriptures. It was a clue. It was a signal. It was when your phone goes off and there's an alert, the Messiah has come. Get ready. And the people do. They do. They go and they find palm branches now, keep in mind, they didn't go then into the field and cut down palm branches. They had them already in the home. Because this is not the first time that someone has claimed to be a Messiah. Oh, we have, we have someone riding on a donkey. Go get the palm branches. The palm branches are like political picket signs for the people. When I was in Jerusalem, uh, there, there's a, a picture of a synagogue that was in Capernaum where Jesus at some point was, and you see at the very top edge of the synagogue, there is a palm branch. It is a symbol of Israeli independence or Israel's independence. It is a picket sign of freedom. When Jesus goes into the city, they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. And they're waving what the equivalent of the American flag is. They're waving their symbol of politic. They're waving their symbol, save us. But this is not... Devotion. This is not adoration of God. It is save us from Rome. Save us from occupation. Save us. Be our king. The palms were a sign that they wanted a Davidic king that would kick out Rome and establish an everlasting kingdom of Davidic rule. Jesus knows this. Jesus kept entering into the city. And then he spoke truth to power. He talked to the Pharisees. And he said, because the Pharisees were concerned, the Pharisees were like, wait a minute. Hey, man, we have the temple. We have our jobs. If you keep this up, Rome's going to squash us. And Jesus says, if I have this crowd shut up, then the rocks and stones themselves are going to sing out. He's following the pattern. That's what the Messiah does. The Messiah enters into the city with a beast of burden and then speaks truth to power. And the Pharisees get agitated. 
Jesus, if there's a riot, this is a battle we cannot win. Do not tempt the Roman authorities. Stay in your place. Jesus, do miracles if you want to. But don't start talking about liberation and recovery of sight of the blind and the jubilee of the year of the Lord's favor. We have the temple. We have our jobs. Our feet are pointed towards security and success. We are not interested in the unintended consequences of a prophetic preacher. Keep it quiet. You can go feed people if you want. But do not challenge our power because we will lose and it will be your fault. Jesus then goes to the temple following the pattern, riding the donkey, speaking truth to power, and he goes to the temple and the people are, there's a fervor. Because following the roadmap of Messiahship, what Jesus is supposed to do, he's supposed to go to the temple, he's supposed to purchase an extravagant sacrifice for the people, it is to offer that sacrifice on behalf of the people to gain their support. And this should not sound foreign to us. Every four years, someone spends lots of money to gain your support. And they say, if you support me, everything will be different. But that's not, that's not what Jesus does. He goes into the temple and he overturns the money changing tables He catches the Pharisees in their hypocrisy and he kicks people out saying, do not make my father's house a den of thieves. We think it took a week for the Hosannas to become crucify him. But in the moment when Jesus goes to the temple and he overturns the money-changing tables and he kicks everyone out, that's when they started whittling the cross. This can't be the Messiah. He's supposed to honor us. He's supposed to do what we ask him to do. He's supposed to fulfill his duty to bring about the kingdom. He's not supposed to be sacrificial. He's not supposed to talk about the temple being destroyed and then rebuilt again in three days. This can't be. My, how quickly the Hosannas become crucify him. We want a king, not a savior. We want a soldier, not a saint. Yes, Jesus will take up arms, but don't ask us to change our hearts. The crowd turns, the disciples desert, and Jesus dies under a sign that reads, This is the King of the Jews. What are you looking for? On Sunday, they came back looking for a body in a rock-hewn tomb in need of anointing. And we still do today because that's what makes sense. 
It's what we know. It's a destination we can imagine. But what if? What if our, point, our feet were pointed in a different direction? What if, as scripture says, beautiful are the feet that bring good news? What if we took the time to wash one another's feet? What if we were on the move doing the things that Jesus asks us to do? What if? There's one more question with which to wrestle. And we will wrestle with that on Thursday night. When Jesus gathers with the disciples sharing the Passover meal, and in between hors d'oeuvres, Jesus says, you know, one of you will betray me. And then they start looking at each other. Is, is it I? Surely not I. What are you looking for? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.